welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, we've been doing this for <laughs> way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorn, and I'm joined by... Tony. Intrigue surrounding me. Intrigue surrounding you. I was only looking for a bit of harmony and grace. I swear I only meant it in good faith. Intrigue. Intrigue. All Intrigue. right. That of course that of course is our rock and roll DM, DM Dave. And I gotta tell you, I don't recognize the song. Nor should you, because I didn't until I looked it up today, but it's Marianne Faithful. Who I know that person. I just didn't know this song until I started searching for songs for today. Today. And it's a good it's, it's a good lead in because today what we're talking about is factions, group factions and how you build them. And, of course, the intrigue they can lead to, which is really kind of one of the main things you're looking to get out of faction building. So today's question comes from, to us from a listener. It comes to us from Jared again. Jared, thanks a lot for writing in, uh, sending us another great question here. And Jared asked, I was wondering if you had any tips for building factions, from influential people to thieves' guilds, merchant consortiums, political groups, or even outright kingdoms, as well as any other types of factions you can think of. Additionally, how do you three make use of these factions? I realize they can make excellent group patrons or troublesome enemies, but do you use them for anything else? Are there any noteworthy stories you can share? Here's hoping for your wise advice. Signed, Jared. So, guys, uh, I know I use factions a bit in my games. What about you? How do you use how do you, do you use factions and kind of how do you come up with them for your campaigns? You got to use them carefully because they're getting a lot of screen time and they could play a relatively big part where they're kind of representing the home base for your party or perhaps potential contacts or adversaries. Uh, but when I am building them, I like to start the top up work my way down. Cause like we're working on a project. You want to do the fun part first. So like who is in charge of this faction? What's their deal? Are they malicious? Are they benevolent? Are they kind of crazy? Do they have two personalities? What's their deal? And then kind of let that guide, uh, how this entire, uh, faction operates. And ideally you should see like how world events and players actions should also bounce off them and cause them to react accordingly. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, Thorne, you, you picked up on it. I mean, the reason I chose a song called Intrigue was I think for factions and things of that nature, that's kind of the whole point. They're building some level of intrigue into the story because there's it's awesome to have have large, immersive worlds and kingdoms with their own lore, as we've talked about. But at some point, a lot of that stuff just goes by the players because it has to play into the story of the characters. So if these factions aren't, like Jared had said, whether it's patrons, troublesome enemies, they have to be bouncing into the player's story for some reason, not just over there. Because if they're just over there, then I don't need to worry, like Tony said, building yeah. them out. Right. Unless I really just love doing that because I want to build a wiki for my own campaign or something like that's cool. <laughs> like if that if you're into that, but that's not necessarily going to help you in your game sessions. Yeah, it's kind of like how if you're playing in um, Redwoods is a thing or they they're, they're in Forgotten Realms, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. It's kind of like you're playing Forgotten Realms. You don't just want to mention the Redwoods is a thing if you're going to use them. You want to bring them in and actually have impact. If they're not going to have impact on the players, why bother? Right. It's actually funny that you said that, Thor, because they are actually um, they have a pretty big uh, role in the Rhyme of the Frostmaiden campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have actually like mentioned them and they play into it. And Boy, are they in the wrong town? <laughs> yeah, because like, yeah, yeah, they're like way too north. But, you know, there's reasons. Anyway, good well, and it kind of came up actually even in our in in our um, uh, Storm King Slender campaign where the Red Wizards of Thay showed up in the very beginning, and Tony kind of decided not to take them in the direction you could take them in, and so they didn't really mean much. So, but for a little while we're like, oh, what are the Red Wizards doing? And the truth is, they weren't doing much for us. <laughs> I think that was a Zen, I think that was a Zentarum. Zentarum, uh, right, right. Zentarum. Was yeah. Zentarum. I'm sorry. Yeah. Storm Kings, yeah. We we met them, and then we just kind of bought them off, and they didn't bother with us anymore. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
because they were smart. Because when they met you again, like they like kind of like checked in on you. Like, how are these guys doing? Oh, they're much more powerful. Great. Let's not piss these guys off. <laughs> and, and honestly, I was running in that campaign with players who were so goody two shoes. They wouldn't pick up gold on the floor in a crypt. They're not going to have any positive interactions this in terror, but they picked up that vibe pretty cut and dry themselves. To be honest, I didn't think it was your fault. I felt like Watsy kind of dropped them in there for you to use. But then once you decide not to use them, they're almost just like a red herring, right? They're just, and, and not necessarily in a good way. It's just kind of like a rabbit hole your players can get lost down if you're not going to use them and make them really have a, have a serious impact on the game. There was a lot of factions in Storm King's Thunder that honestly I never used. Oh, there were a lot you did use. I felt like every time we turned around, it was a new faction. But, you know, like our games uh, ran pretty long. I mean, we had like eight yeah. hour sessions and we were covering a ton of ground, everyone. And when if I'm running in a set, like I kind of overclocked the plot. Like I took the plot, t- fine tuned it, added everybody's story into it, made it more complicated, added a longer ending, made the villain that you weren't supposed to really have as your true adversary, your true adversary. And then... Adding this, I think, would have been really – it was to be time for the board with the strings to explain what the hell is all going on because everyone would have been lost. So, I mean, so that's just an example kind of where you're just, just driving home. If you're going to introduce a faction, you want to make sure they're going to have an impact because otherwise it's just extra kind of detail that's kind of distracting from your main story, I yeah. think. Um, so yeah, so that was probably a good choice not to introduce the other ones. I would say now at the same time, like in my world and, um, in Woodstock Wanderers. So in the Woodstock Wanderers game, that's the one that has the, you know, kind of the, the snakes of the Alakir or a faction that are feeding living sacrifices to Gadanathwa, which is this giant elder goo, great old one living inside the planet. That's going to one day break it like an egg. So in that game, we have factions in that the uh, Snakes of the Alakir are a faction. We have the factions of the kingdoms that the players come from. Uh, Tony's character especially is from Nuskavi. So we have that as a faction, that kingdom. And he literally is part of the king's court. Like he is he is kind of a middle manager in the king's court. So he has the king. He has the archmage, who's his, who's his real boss, you know, who's his direct boss. He, he has things he has to do. So that's a faction I build out. Then there was another kingdom uh, uh, kind of a, uh, across the river that I build out. Well, two other kingdoms I build out in different ways. And then we introduced, uh, I introduced the Strahd as kind of a, as kind of a um, competing villain to the Snakes of the Alakir, offering another solution, although it's a terrible solution, to the to to, to to the players. But it's kind of like the, well, hey, you know, you know, I can make sure Gadanathwa never wakes up. You just give me your world. You all come into Ravensloft. Nothing reaches its potential in Ravensloft, and it never wakes up. So like. There's all those, there's about, I guess, five different factions that we've played with significantly in that game. Is Talantia its own faction, or is it really under Strahd at this point? So Talantia, and, and, and for reference, Talantia is kind of, was Nuscovy's enemy. They're a little more of like a fascist or, or kind of kind of, kind of kingdom. Authoritarian dictatorship. Yeah, thar- yeah, you're right. Let's not throw around any loaded terms. Authoritarian dictatorship compared to Nuscovy, which is kind of your classic kind of gothic a uh, kingdom ruled by a good king. In fact, Nuscovy's king is Garland the Just. So there was, and, and they're kind of, that's kind of a little, that's a little, a little flat, right? It's a little bit, you know, these guys are good and these guys are bad. But Talantia was its own faction. Uh, however, Talantia at this point has totally joined Strahd's faction. And Talantia's role was to introduce the influence Strahd was having. So one of the groups had gone up and infiltrated Talantia and in that process, they found out that what Strahd was doing with the kingdoms that he was allying with was he was basically turning massive portions of their population into an undead army to go attack the other kingdoms. So uh, Talantia was fine with that. You know, they 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 then one of their one of their main guys got turned into a vampire as part of the deal. So there's a lot of factions going on there and they're working with each other with a lot of intrigue and you know, to kind of deal with the two parts of Jared's question there, how I built them is very much first I come up with what the faction is and the role I want them to play. So uh, the snakes of the Alakir are there to be the bad, bad guys. They are run by someone who is absolutely uh, dastardly in what he's doing. He is sacrificing every conscious thing he could find to Godanathwa for his own power so he can get out before Godanathwa 
wakes up and he doesn't care. He wants to kill everyone else before he does. Then you have, so that's kind of like, that's, that's your big, that's, that's like your evil guy. That's the guy that's easy to hate. That's the guy the players get into. He actually turned one of the players mentors. So he was in that faction. So there's a lot to hate there, you know, and I'm, and I'm doing that intentionally. That is, they, they're the guys I want the player characters to hate. The Strahd faction and the Talanchian faction is a little more, you know, they're classic. Talanchian was a classic enemy of Muscovy, even though they have a different way of doing things. They are more authoritarian in how they go about their, 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 their running their kingdom. And they did join Strahd because to them, Strahd offered them power, the ability to destroy Muscovy, and the ability to not be destroyed by Godanathwa. So to them, an alliance with Strahd made a lot of sense. This is still very, I would say, a very negative thing to the players, but not maybe as negative as the snakes of the Alakir. So it's kind of a second villain that could potentially be someone the player characters ally with, depending on how things play out. Although I don't necessarily see that happening, but that's how I introduced them. If the players really felt pressed and wanted to have someone there who they could make an alliance with to fight the snakes of the Alakir, that's what Strahd and the Talanchian faction are there for. At the same time, they're also attacking Nuscovy. So there's also this whole element of they brought in this 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 undead army that Nuscovy now has to worry about. So Tony's characters and the kingdom of Nuscovy and anyone else who's a good character, which is most of this group, has something else they need to worry about in addition to what's going on with God and Alpha. And then, yeah, Nuscovy is kind of this this very good kingdom that the, that, that the players are more or less, you know, trying to, trying to save to some extent. Like I said, Tony's character worked there. And then there's a kingdom across the river where to the South, where they not only did they already rescue it from Strahd's vampires, but they had been named wardens of the East in that kingdom. They actually have a castle in that kingdom. Uh, so that played out in a way where it gave them extra rewards and extra responsibilities. So thrown out, four to five factions there. And those are the roles they played in the game. You know, the one was to be the big evil bad guy who everyone's going to hate. The one was to be the bad guy who's really going to be a pain in the ass and everyone's probably going to hate, but could potentially become an ally if they needed it to, depending on how they wanted to play. The one is their home kingdom that there is, is one of their home kingdoms that really they kind of feel a connection to and is under direct threat. So they have something to fight for and defend. And the other one is a kingdom that has adopted them and given them stuff and given them responsibility. And now they actually have a castle in kind of a whole side of the kingdom that they're responsible for guarding. So now they have additional responsibilities. And that actually led to the Black Dragon fight we've talked about before. So that's how I start with the factions. Um, I should probably let the other guys get a word in edgewise before we get into kind of how you build them out. <laughs> But um, I mean, I don't know that that's that's kind of how I think about things when I'm building factions and kind of how I fit them together to to make the plot of the game. Does that? What do you guys think? Is that kind of how you go about things? Or well, I just kind of want to throw in there that had I been a new player and been met Strahd, then I think my reaction would have been different, really mm. truly. So one of the problems there is if you want to have mystery or intrigue like Dave's talking about, because you had a more seasoned table. Then introducing a straw, even an alternate one, I felt like we had an uphill battle to make that a viable choice. Had he been like, I don't know, even a lesser known Ravenloft film like Duke Grundar. I mean, he sounds charming, right? You could trust him with your kids and your pets. Uh, if he said, hey, I, yeah, I'm a bad guy, but we could work together and we could meet our own ends. He might've been able to pull some players, especially in my original party. Those guys weren't all like a bunch of altar boys. <laughs> that group, some of them may have been like, let's hear this guy out. And that could have been interesting. But then again, I also think, read things on Reddit like, yeah, I was playing Curse of Strahd. And in like game 25, the warlock turned on us and Strahd killed us all. The end. <laughs> <laughs> that asshole better have someone walk him to his car at the end of the game is all I got to say. You got my you got us all killed in game 25. Oh, yeah. No. So we've actually talked about this before and. I consciously decided to go with Strahd and I would again, because I actually wanted the name recognition, but we did talk about the first group who met him did not react to him very well. Like I wanted it to be the guy in charge of Ravenloft. So I could credibly say he could pull you into Ravenloft because at this point I'm kind of seeing him as he is 
Ravensloft from my point of view in this game. Like he can expand the realm if he gets enough foothold somewhere else. He can't leave the realm, but he can pull things into it is the way I'm thinking of it. But, you know, it's fair. And it was an uphill battle. I don't mind that no one joined with him, but he's been there and he's made the pitch to you guys. And that's what I wanted him there for. You know, I wanted him there to at least pitch to you. Here's another way to go. And he did. Um, even though you guys aren't going to take it, which I don't care either way if you take it or not, but I wanted someone with a lot of credibility to do that with a lot of like weight behind the name. And that's why I went with Strahd, but maybe not the best, you know, it's certainly different DMs would do that different ways. And definitely that first group who met Strahd reacted to him kind of like they really didn't take him very seriously, but the second group did like the Woodstock Wanderers, I thought reacted to him. I don't think they had a problem with that, with him in that campaign at all. No, Tony is, uh, you are actually both correct. And I've done it both ways with that. Um, your your name recognition with Strahd absolutely is going to create everyone to go, whoa, I know that guy. Even yeah. like even casual players are going to know that. I mean, he's literally one of the most infamous villains in the history of D&D, much less, you know, even larger uh, histories of just pop culture. Um, I would say I've actually done it exactly the same way, and I used it in the same way in our my Marvel one shot I did a uh, mm. couple years back with uh, with a group where I actually had Kingpin. He was the main player, um, and there were multiple factions there. I had the Magia going in. I had uh, the Hellfire Club. I had all of these different factions all vying for something. Some of them were working is together. so jacked up. Yeah, it was. It's pretty. It's pretty awesome. It was a hell hath no fury adventure <laughs> I wrote. Um, and this is the one where I actually had taken a piece of paper and put all the players on, and I had almost like the red string, right? I had lines going, and this was their goal where they were working with these people, but they were trying to to double cross them over here because I wanted to create that level of intrigue. I was playing with that specifically for factions. And you throw up a character like Kingpin, Wilson Fisk out, everyone is going to know exactly who this guy is, but they're also not necessarily going to go, well, I mean, is he the biggest threat right now? Or is he one that we can work with? I would pivot that point to the Curse of Strahd game, where obviously I'm playing with original Strahd. His faction is never going to befriend you, right? You guys were not into that. I tried. I tried a little bit, right? I tried to get the warlock to, like, you know, kind of become like, oh, okay, maybe I could do my own thing here. But uh, you guys, I mean, he's not a faction, but I think with his power level, he could be. But Exathanter, the lich that you met and healed in the Amber Temple, who has now become somewhat of a... Ally is not the point. Uh, he is an associate, let's say. Contact. He's, a, he's, he's a contact. He's a yeah, contact. <laughs> yeah, because at the same point, Good to have when, you you guys, when you guys opened up the Feywild and started to see how the courts were playing together, especially the gentleman's court in in Glen Boggle, Phineas's patron, all those factions obviously had their own ideas about things, and that forced you to start to make decisions. And I think that's the biggest thing with factions is you can throw a lot of that stuff out here. This is going back to what Thorne was saying originally. Like, if you have just, like, Zentarum or the Red Wizards of Thay and stuff, you can you can pepper that stuff in in the beginning of the adventure to see what hooks the players are going to go after. But once they start to decide, at that point, that quantum state kind of collapses and at this point now, you're building out these certain factions, and those other ones are maybe going to take a backseat to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a little different with how I do things, because I'd kind of, because the factions are each playing a different role in my game, they're still there, whether the players are interacting with them or not, but only because if we wind up down this path, that faction is going to become important. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Absolutely. Like, so I don't necessarily, because to me, if you notice, like the way I kind of layer those together, the factions are actually drive or actually where the plot comes from in my game. These guys have this goal. These guys have this goal. There's some opportunities in the world to do certain things and they're chasing after it for their own reasons. So by having five or, you know, four or five, six factions, you have different ways the players get introduced to some of the things that are available in the world and like the secrets in the world. 
for example, discovering God and Othwa because you were because you were chasing the snakes of the Alakir and trying to rescue uh, Brother Maynard, who was the the one guy's mentor, trying to rescue him from the snakes. Like that's how you find out about God and Othwa. Like as you chase these things, you find out different secrets about the world. That tends to be kind of how I how how I want them to act. So it's not just like factions sitting on top of the story. It's factions. The factions are creating the story usually in my games. So, I mean, for the low hanging fruit of factions, there I say, I'll take the fruit here. Um, if you have like, I don't know, what are the easiest ones? Wizards University. I mean, those, that idea has been around way before Harry Potter. You had the eight uh, and Morton Kanan and Wary before he ruined everything because he's an asshole. Um, the Dead of Rogues. A nice denominational, non-denominational church of whatever kind of gods you want to throw out there. And then a mercenaries guild. Well, you covered all your bases right there. And I feel like the easiest one in there is probably like the clerics association. Because you know what? They're like, oh, they just start feeding you guys quests. It's so easy. And you can kind of bounce around, start getting cred with more of these factions. This really is best used. And of course, you know, I love Greyhawk. Uh, but like if you're in a big, big kind of super magical city like that, yeah. then this kind of gives it the pillars that brings it to life because it's much bigger than like, oh, this is a big celebrity over here. Here's a whole organization with a whole group of celebrities who you want to be in favor with. If you want to learn the best spells, get access to the best equipment, get the best information, whatever you need, they're available in one of these places. So. I, I told you that's a great way to go. The one thing I would add to that is I think each faction at the top end, like sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a knee jerk. We play factions the way they play factions and say Skyrim, right? Skyrim factions aren't really there with their own goals. They kind of have their own goals, but not really. Skyrim factions are just there for you to go through the quest line and kind of advance to the factions. Then they kind of stay the same in a role-playing game. I think you want your faction to have a goal. In a goal that most of the time the player characters don't know at first, because it's discovering that real goal that gives your fa that creates the intrigue in your game and how they interact with the other factions and how they're fighting with each other and how one's trying to accomplish something another one's trying to stop. Because like they've said, you want intrigue. And when you know, I've I've made a lot of positive comparisons to, from Skyrim to D and D, and this you is do one love where Skyrim. I do love Skyrim. I think I think Skyrim did some great things in a video game. But this is something that you can do in a role-playing game you can't really do as easily in a video game, which is have your factions living living and interact with each other in a way that creates more story. So what did they yes. do that was great? And they let you suck you in. They're like, here's all your quests, blah, blah, blah. And they let you work your way into the faction and then into a key position. So you're like, hey, you want to be Archmage? You can be Archmage. Now, that's a great pitch. Or That's you true, like, yeah. You want to be like a wizard in the university. Uh, you you want to be high priestess. You want to be like a master uh, assassin. This is kind of the buildup. Then you get in the inner circle and perhaps, yeah, then you discover that, you know, these wizards have been looking for this lost home for their entire careers. And perhaps you're the one to help. Them. I mean, yeah. I, I think the, the big, the big, the, the, the most obvious one where Skyrim kind of falls down on is the Civil War quest, right? You can help put someone uh, on the throne, but you can never become High King. Choose the shiniest of two tones. There it is. Yeah, exactly. And then at the same time, well, why isn't the Wizards Guild trying to put a king on the throne? Right. So that's the thing. Like or why? Like like so. So where I would take it further than what Skyrim did in a role playing game is, OK, the dragons are coming up. Well, the wizards aren't necessarily there to stop the dragons. Maybe the wizards have some other plan to try to capture the dragons or harness their magic somehow or or harness Anduin or, or something like that. I think you want your factions in your role playing game to have big goals when people when, when player characters work, work their way far enough up to realize them and not necessarily goals they want to follow. Yeah, I, I think that uh, this comes back to a lot of what we talk about when there's a difference between obviously video games and role playing games, but then obviously stories in novels, movies, television and role playing games as well, because you have to kind of you have to balance that line between telling the story and have this immersive world and all of these things that are kind of playing on their own and it makes the world feel real and it gives it that verisimilitude. At the same point, it has to feel like the characters are the point of view here, and they're the ones that are driving that story. And the way that I have started to come about that 
has actually grown over time, but it's very similar, is that very similar to one of my recent articles where I talked about how I kind of broke out uh, the megaliths or the standing stones in Curse of Strahd into something much larger that was of my own creation that opened up the second half of the adventure, kind of about how to like use published material the best. But I'll go back to Slaver's Bay. Um, so I obviously, because you guys had started in the Aurelian Kingdom, which, spoilers, was really the Aurelian Empire, but they were building that empire. You were kind of right in the beginning of them empire building, you know, into the Imperium. They were broken out very much, where I had the domino all the way down and the hierarchy of the prefects that controlled per- certain portions of the city and how they worked together and what their goals were. Because you guys were starting there, that was home base. That was going to be something that was going to be you were involved with for many, many levels in some fashion or other, whether it was as slaves or as freed people or whatever it might be. But I also introduced the idea of one, uh, the Leonine order or the strong hearts who were in essence, this kind of like they were the rebellion, right? They were the resistance. They were the ones, it was very much my order of the white Lotus for any of my uh, last airbender fans out there. Uh, You know, they were behind the scenes. They were people who were you know, maybe high up in the Aurelian Empire, but they were they were working to overthrow it in some fashion, you know, to build that resistance. I didn't know fully. I knew what their goal was, but I didn't know how they would play into the story or if or how much or if they would, depending on what the players chose. The same way I had with the Jolly Punks, which was my uh, I still am going to reuse that because I still love that name. It's so like uh, fucking Charles Dickens. Like, I don't know. It says, <laughs> but the Jolly Punks, which was like a thieves guild, right? And to your, the the best the party understood because of their interaction which, with them, which was as highwaymen, was not very good, right? They, they were like, fuck these guys. We're just going to kill them. And, you know, they killed Captain Mercer, all of that. My, my, my moon this. druid thought they were good eating. Yeah, absolutely. Because they totally waylaid you by the side of the road, right? But, down the road in the story, you started to realize that they were part of, they were this neutral organization that was passing information, that was passing, uh, you know, uh, stuff in between from the Leonine order to to others within the kingdom. And at that point, it was cool because you went, oh, shit, okay, now what are we supposed to do with these guys, you know? Uh, so those types of things, I don't think you have to immediately, and that's what I want to make sure people aren't thinking that they have to build out these massive factions all in one or these hierarchies, but at least have an idea of who are they and what's their main goal. And then if the players interact with that and they say, this is the story we want to go to, or this plays into where we're going, then you have something to go. And I think that takes it beyond just your, we're a building of quest givers, you know, which is very much the Skyrim model. And I get that. And that's a great way to give quests, much like Jared said with patrons, but they can be a lot more and they can have machinations larger in the world. And I go back to my idea with the Kingpin, where at the very end of the adventure, he was not the big bad at all. And he helped them. But when they took out the Magia down at the docks and they took out the Hellfire Club, the next day, the news was breaking about how Fisk Industries was renovating the docks, and all he had done was let you take out his competition and move in, which is obviously super fucking tropey. <laughs> but that's exactly it. He has larger machinations, and they're not to punch, you know, to punch out the good guys. So we're talking about video games, back to what Thorn was, uh, and guilds in there. Baldur's Gate 2, the way they ran that was, of course, you had your Wizards Guild, uh, and this was the Thieves Guild at the time because this is too late. And, you know, um, th- what these kind of guilds met was a whole string of side quests. So what are we talking? You want to do these because you want to get to the end. And when you get to the final boss, you want to have you know, as beefed up as possible. So you want to have all the gold, XP, and unique items you get your hands on. And this is where you do it. You don't just go right for the core plot. You can go circle around. You go see what the Order of the Radiant Heart's up to. All you need is to go kill some giants that are harassing a town. No problem. Oh, you gave my knight plus three uh, full plate. Wow, what a great reward. 
What other quest you got? Like I, I was pounding on these guys' doors. You got a quest because I want to take it. You, you see, that's that was great for a video game, but it's really not how I want my factions yeah. to operate in a role-playing game. They can. I mean, side quests are great and all, but like, I want any faction my 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 characters are interacting with to be something bigger than just a bunch of quest givers. You know what I mean? I want them to have a to, to have a to have a goal, to have to have a stake in the world and to be actively changing the world because where the players put their thumb is where is the direction the world changes in. Why, yeah. why can't they be both? Why can't they give you a string of quests Absolutely. Want them and well, have a goal? I I I will definitely advocate that. To me, the reason why I don't have them give a lot of side quests is because my story, I usually want to stick with the main story and explore how this side faction interacts with it. But I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time off on side quests most of the time. That's just not my style as DM. You know, I want to, I want the characters to see how this unfolds and how it plays into what's going on in the world. And maybe they're doing something that, that is sort of, that seems side questy compared to what the centerpiece of the story is. But I don't usually do like a bunch of, hey, just go rescue, just go rescue this town, except for at low levels, you know? To me, the kind of your classic side quest is really a low level quest in the way I do my role playing game. Once you hit mid levels and high tiers, most of what you're doing is high. I want to be high stakes. That's, that's the way I approach things. Yeah, I think uh, that is, I, there's nothing wrong with, because we, we're, we're in a game, if we're playing D&D, we're in a game where we're leveling up. And we're gaining, we're becoming more powerful in the world, and we do that through quests and adventures and yada yada, right? Awesome. And that's what we do because we talk about the big bad all the time, and we have to be at a certain level, and how do you do that, and how do you balance that and counter out? And, but there needs to also be a uh, a time for I go back to like something like Game of Thrones. So we're talking intrigue upon intrigue and we're talking factions. I mean, like you want to go factions. There it is. Right. Writ large. So Jon Snow didn't go out and just like grind out like nine levels and come back. What he did was he gathered forces. He talked with people. He made alliances. He utilized his ability to interact with the world beyond just grinding out on quests to yeah. then go punch the bad guy out. And I think again, you know, like Thorne was just playing devil's advocate. I think there's a, there's a, a point right between, though, where you can thread that needle where you're absolutely still grinding stuff out because that's part of the fun of the game, as we talked about playing with the toy chest. Everything. But you have to be able to interact with these things beyond just I got big and strong, you know, or I just can cast wish on you now. I, I, I you mean, know? you wish I, wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tony said it a hundred times, right? I mean, you want to move the football. And I guess to me, when you talk about your classic side quest to me, it's a quest that doesn't move the main football. It's off on the side. Now it's kind of a palate cleanser maybe, but I like to kind of, once we, once we've hit like mid tier, I like to kind of stay in the pocket of kind of like, you know, well, here's what's really going on. Well, yeah. Like I said before, you have in the, in the very beginning, you have literally a quantum state of infinite possibilities as you begin to choose that quantum state collapses and you now have a choice you it's a wave or it's a particle right for all my physics fans out there uh, we'll talk about tachyons next episode Higgs <laughs> boson baby but i mean we're talking grinding i mean back in the day yeah you know what i do we go run around the woods like we're playing final fantasy wait for some random encounters beat the snot out of whatever we encountered you know, unapologetically take their treasure, move on, level up, go face the bad guy. And that's how we handled that. Of course, you know, that isn't that is truly, unfortunately, a grind. But if we're doing quests, I mean, a lot can be happening still. You have a lot of different party interactions. The story's building. Events are occurring. Characters are developing. The story, the story's still progressing. The villain, air quotes, is still doing stuff. And, and moving their goal forward while you're out there exploring this crypt or these catacombs. So while the party has time to do things, so does everybody else. So, you know, we've kind of gone deep into kind of what role the factions play in your games. We haven't really talked at all about how you create the factions. So when you guys sit down, I mean, like, like Dave, you mentioned like yeah. for the Aurelian empire, you created everybody, you know, um, Tony, Damn I don't near. know. If, Damn huh? near. 
damn near, I think. <laughs> like, I don't know if Tony, I don't know if you create everyone or just some. I will tell you the way I, I tend to approach, I approach faction building the same way I approach almost everything else in the game. You know, I figure out what do they do, what kinds of characters are in that faction. I figure out what their basic foot soldiers look like, and then maybe some like leveled up dudes. And then I give them a couple of lieutenants who are going to be the party's pain in the ass for a while. But I tend to only flesh out a handful of dudes per faction, maybe even three, depending on what the faction is. You know, it might be three, four, five, just enough because I don't I don't expect the party to remember more than a handful or maybe even more than one or two dudes or girls. <laughs> Either sex, but I don't expect the party to, hand, to remember more than one or two characters per faction personally. So I tend to kind of like... I, I sketch out, I, I figure out what are their foot soldiers and what are the main dudes you're dealing with, what are kind of some more elite units, and then a couple lieutenants who are going to be tougher than the party and a real pain in the ass, and then like the top guys. Like that's kind of how I figure out my factions. Um, and if it's a faction that's on the party side, it's sort of the same way, it's just they're not actually fighting those pain in the ass dudes. So how do you guys go about building that out? I do agree that I would rather, for a little different reasons, I'd rather have two or three really defined members in the faction. This is what I do with NPCs in a story. Who are your memorable, interesting, developable, you know, uh, characters that they're going to want to interact with that kind of come together really easy that are going to help move your story, tell a story, get them involved in something, etc. Versus just an explosion of freaking characters where I'm like, all right, and here's Betty. All right, and where's Betty on the map? Let's put Betty here, you know. And I'm trying to like come up with like five things about Betty in case they have to quiz her on the spot and be like, "So where are you from? What do you like? What class are you? You know, you ever think about multi-classing? Like, you know, you're not like you're like uh deer in the headlights in that moment. If they catch you in that moment and start talking to your basic foot soldier or something, you roll with it like Thornwood, and you know, you just working from that. Um, general understanding of the group but yeah i create the most interesting ones first they they have their goals they have their plans work my way down and then kind of expand what i really would actually back in a palladium book i read uh one of the villain source books had a really great uh section on building organizations like how many points they had the point was like what like how far was their reach like what could they accomplish um I remember one time we got we were like mid, mid mid to high level characters. We got in a random bar fight. Next thing you know, you know, my mom got scared and like eight freaking sixteenth level wizards showed up. They're like, "What are you doing wrecking my bar?" And it's like, "What the hell is this shit? What, <laughs> what, what, what the hell do you care? Here's fifty gold. Go go pound sand." And I, we had to roll those wizards. And then the DM's like, "Well." That's just a branch of those wizards, and they're in every town. Now you've stirred up a hornet's nest, and I'm like, I don't want to do this plot. Like, just take <laughs> this plot away. I don't want to hear that I just, you know, stabbed my hand on the tip of an iceberg because I got in a bar fight and I pissed off this group of way overpowered mages, and now they're part of this cult. I'm like... 70 more of them and yeah they're, they're watching us now well that, that's sort of the john wick plot right one person creates a problem that all of a sudden like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are a part of avenging or getting killed to avenge you know it can work but it's going to become your whole thing and your players better be down for constantly running into this kind of hassle yeah no like we actually had a real plot going on at the same time and i'm like yeah get this side plot out of here i don't much in this i don't want to get nagged by the wizards every time i show up okay yeah because i wrecked their bar stuff they were bar stool that was terrible you know it's also one of these it's another case of where i think we're talking about kind of the anti-skyrim approach to dming because mm. one of the things about skyrim factions when you came into a faction you now had like eight or nine people you had to talk to and hear all their backstory and solve all their quests. And I'm just like, a lot of this is just a waste of my time. You know, especially like the Thieves Guild. The Thieves Guild drove me nuts in that game. Like, I was just like, I don't want to be involved with whatever you want me to do. Like, I don't care. Like, you're, you're not an interesting character. But like, it's, you know, you, I don't think you want it to feel that way. You want to have just a couple of people who are pulling the levers and, and the players are interacting with in a very pointed fashion. And the rest can just be, you know, background because you got other characters you want your players to remember and they're not going to remember 150 characters across 50 factions. Absolutely. Um, I think for me, it depends on what uh, what faction I'm building, when and why. 
Now, I go back, I, I will go back again, because it's one of the last times I really was building up massive factions uh, with the Slavers Bay group, because since then, Strahd, right? So, like, I'm running with a lot of the factions. They have things like Keepers of the Feather, right? And it's kind of already within the story, so I don't have to worry so much about that. Uh, I do now. So, like, as I was building up the Fae Courts, well, that's a little more broken out, right, depending on what you guys are going to do. So... But with the Slavers Bay, you guys were starting in the city of Zipporah, which was the capital of the Aurelian kingdom that was starting to overtake. And I've said this before. I based the this was something I was super jazzed about for a long time because I had based it off the infernal kingdom that Pathfinder had built out. I forget what the name of that kingdom was, regardless uh, but they were, in essence, just a devil-worshipping thing. And the way they built it out was very Rome and stuff. And I just loved that. And I had been watching a lot of Spartacus, yada, yada, right, as we've talked about before. But the Aurelian Kingdom, I broke out a lot more. You know, I had what what is the the military called? What is the secret organizations? Uh, you know, how does it break out in terms of, like, the court mage or the cleric and the dominant? And how are they the mixed up with when you guys were in your keep, which were the different, in essence, training halls uh, that they would fight in the gladiatorial pits, I had introduced your training man, your weapons master. You guys had a, uh, a, a guy who ran the cafeteria that you knew. You obviously knew Prefect Caius because it was Caius Keep. So all of that was super built up because that's where you were starting that was where the adventure began. That was your home base. So you needed to, I needed to be able to answer those questions for you. The Jolly Punks was literally, this is a loose network of thieves, I wrote in my notes. And they consisted of, in the story up to this point, Captain Mercer, now deceased, and his like five bandit brothers. That was the whole network that I had set up now. I had who they were and what they were, but they didn't have to come in until I brought them in. So it didn't matter. I didn't need to answer as much because any questions you had, I could answer in following sessions as you interacted with them. And so if you did start to interact, okay, cool, then I'm going to break this out more, but I'm not going to fucking bother with breaking out this thieves guild if you're going to meet them on the highway and they're going to try to rob you. And then who knows what will happen, right? But if it's something where I'm starting the campaign, I need to set the tone. I need to set the everything about it. Then I'm going to put a lot more in because I want that large, immersive kind of like uh, wide pan shot of the beginning of the movie. So you get a sense of where you are. And for me, something like understanding who the big, big players are is a big part of that in some ways. You make this important NPC and then Thorn cannibalizes them. <laughs> See, that's the beauty, though, because he was important up to a point, and then he was just going to be taken over by some other dude that and, they would meet on a pirate ship somewhere or whatever, you know? And to be fair, I, I wasn't a human when I ate him. I was a uh, wolf. Dire wolf. That's yeah. not what I yeah. heard. I heard you eat his face the side of, like, fava beans. <laughs> well, I did eat his face, but I did it as a wolf, and no fava beans, beans were involved. Neither was a bottle of Chianti. No, no, no. It was it was all on the up and up. I mean, I don't blame them for what they chose to do. The guys, like, robbed them. Uh, they just, you know, ended it with extreme prejudice. That's all. Well, it but, was my my character hadn't been there, and he thought of that group as his pact. So when his pack got attacked because he wasn't there, he was upset. Yeah, he, he he was upset. He felt like he needed to 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 make amends by yeah. eating the person. Now that's something where like I obviously built all of that out, and that was completely coming out of my own stealing from other materials, right? Like in my own stealing from television shows I liked and movies and Roman history, right? Nobody but still that. totally original stuff that I was putting out. But I will say you can do the same thing if you're playing with um, established characters, right? Like I, I go back to the Marvel thing with like something like the Kingpin or something. Everybody knows what that is, but what that allows you to do is you already kind of get a sense of what that faction is. And that lets you play on a little bit of those higher end. What is the end goal of this? And I don't have to worry about, you know, how do they work with this other group? Cause it's already there in a degree. And, and so I think like Thorin, even though you built out Strahd yourself, Similarly, that name recognition, you know, it yeah. brings that 
you don't have to do so. like as Tony said, that was an uphill battle. But in some ways, no, because you didn't have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Right. It's a shorthand because yeah. people know the name. You can use it. It becomes a shorthand for what kind of person this is, even if I'm playing him in a different direction than all the details I remember. Exactly. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's baggage, right? It's baggage both ways. The ba- you use the baggage to your advantage to, as it creates the shorthand, but the baggage also means your players may react to it in a way you don't want them to. Yeah. And now so, you, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, there's some, there's some pros and cons, you know? Yeah. yeah. You got to trust you, your DM. Because, you know, there's an alternate universe where Darkseid actually was good and was killed because and betrayed in an up-and-up deal. Really? Absolutely. Yep, can. It can happen. You know, alternate universes, alternate games, every game world's different. Definitely, you know, as a DM, you want the room to work with the things the way you want to work with them. All right, so, you know, we've been going on for a little bit about faction building here, so why don't we wrap up with some final thoughts. Uh, I think we hit, you know, why you use factions pretty hard, pretty hard. but if you have anything else to add there, add that, and maybe just throw in a little more, if you have it, about how you go about building your factions. Uh, I, I Because, you know, I go for the interesting parts first. The parts, when you're, as a DM, you're trying to do uh, any project, the things that you're most interested in and excites you is going to be your best material. So with that, start at those points in this organization. Like what? Like okay, who do you think is going to be fun? Who are you excited to like expand as a character and make these individuals? And then move your way down. Um, establish what are the boundaries of their abilities, their power. Like where are they going with things? Do they have this great overarching goal? Are they going to make money? Are they trying to stay under the radar? Are they going to offer five side quests? Or are you going to find these guys in a secret room at level 11? They're like, oh shit, well now you're here. Let's talk. These are things that they can, like, as in what, like, one of your secrets you could infuse in the game later down the road. But if you, you could really uh, have a few key NPCs that are interesting and more developed than I think that's certainly stronger than multiple ones that are kind of faceless. They run into each other that that loses its flavor and its gusto. Absolutely. I would say the first thing I said when we started out that they have to play into the story of the characters in the end, no matter how much of their own machinations, their own goals, their own working in the world, because if that is all that you're interested in with factions and that's really where you're putting your energy, go write a book, right? And have those factions <laughs> in there because that will matter then because now the point of view character is the reader. But if the point of view character are these multiple players at the table, they are the ones interacting. And that's the biggest difference. Thorne kept making this point between something like Skyrim or any other video game and D&D or other RPGs is – I don't have to listen to those six or eight backstories because I can get all of them through through one person or two or a whole another faction. It doesn't matter because I have the ability to pivot. I don't have to go through the dialogue tree. Um, so don't plan. Plan session to session, have an idea if what their major goals are, have an idea of how they're built out. If it's something that's going to play in heavily into the story in the beginning, do some of the front end work like I talked about with the Aurelian Kingdom. But if it's not if it's something you're going to introduce that might turn into something, don't waste a lot of time on that. Like I said, with the Jolly Punks, just this is who they are and this is what they do. And currently there's only five of them that exist in the world until I populate more. Right. You don't have to plan these massive things. Don't waste prep time on that. All right. And uh, the big thing for me is that the, the the factions each have their own role and their own goals. And those goals are, are driving in some ways more obviously and less obviously what's going on in the entire campaign. So it's the fact that they actually have a role in the world and aren't just there as kind of glorified quest givers is something that's important to me in the way I do my DMing. Now, when it comes to building factions less is more. You want a few memorable folks and then you want their kind of, you know, their faceless stormtroopers, right? Huh. I mean, think about how, how how many people in the Empire do you know from Star Wars, right? Especially after the first three movies, you know, it was yeah, it was yeah, in the first movie it was Vader, Grand Moff Tarkin, Grand Moff Tarkin, and and the Emperor, and that was it. Like yeah, everyone else was just a fate was just a dude waiting to be killed by Luke Skywalker. <laughs> there's literally millions of people in the in the Empire that are working, right? Millions. 
Right. And they're workaday yeah. soldiers and they're workaday whatevers. And they are they are not people your player characters need to know. So keep that in mind. You know, it's okay to have the kind of the nameless the nameless forces in your faction who your players may be encountering more often. And then, you know, you know, a handful of people or maybe just three or four people who actually have name recognition, who the players are going to remember. And if it's an enemy faction, you know, you can have a lot of fun with them by making them a real pain in the ass. Like Art Kang is one of the lieutenants in the, uh, in, 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 in the snakes of the Alakir and the party remembers who he is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Brother Maynard was another lieutenant. The party remembered who he was. And, you know, the leader is uh, the Malbion, and everyone remembers who he was. And to me, that is, a, in, in large, to a large extent, a success. You know, I've got, I've, I've really, I've put work into like, into just a handful of folks in that, in that faction. Everyone knows who they are, and everyone else is kind of just a foot soldier who they're dealing with, or someone who's about to get sacrificed to 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 Gadanathwa. And yeah, that may sound really flat, but the truth is, it simplifies things to the extent where your party can remember it, and that's the important thing. You know, the more you create that your players can't remember, the messier your campaign gets. So in faction building, just like in everything else we've talked about, keep that in mind. All that really matters is what the players can grok onto and hang onto and remember from your game. And use that to guide how you build your factions, you know? Faceless punks, elite punks, couple lieutenants, top dude. That's really all you need per faction and a really good motive and what are they there to do because that, that determines how they interact with the rest of your world. There it is. All right. And hopefully we've grown the three wise DMs faction here. There it is. I mean, this is, you know, these are not faceless elites here. No, absolutely not. We we take as many listener questions as we can. And if you have a question you'd like to hear us answer, please send it in to threewisedms at gmail.com or put it, go to our website and enter it in the what's your problem field. Or you can put it, send it to us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We're active in all those places. But we love getting listener feedback and listener questions. We've got a few. We're going. We got a few more coming up that we'll be able to cover. And anything you have to ask, we'd love to. We'd love to hear you ask it. Please give us material for the love of God. We need things to talk about. <laughs> I will come up with stuff to talk about if we need to. But I just want to make sure we're we we, we are helping our fans. We're doing our job. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> we are helping. We are here. We're we're the podcast for DMs with problems. And if you have problems, we'd love to try to to, to try to help you solve. That's them. our mission statement. That's it, right there. That is the three wise DMs mission. Uh, and even if we're not maybe so wise, hopefully the conversation gets you something you can use somewhere. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Good episode. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening from home. In addition to sending us questions, if you have them, we would love it if you could rate this podcast, give it a five-star rating in your podcast platform of choice, uh, share it on social media, tell your friends. All this stuff helps us grow. We really appreciate all the help you've given us so far growing this podcast. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Three Wise DMs.